to the show i just have one question did y'all get friday off i mean for this new holiday called juneteenth <laughs> i don't know if you did because it just happened on like thursday so you probably didn't uh but listen what a great week we ended it with something that was long time coming and that was juneteenth as a holiday in this country and now uh black americans have their own fourth of july and is recognized federally as an important day in this country. And so, listen, what a great week. Uh, we'll do a show on it soon because there's a lot of players, a lot of folks that was involved in that. And what a great time in this country that we have a new holiday that celebrates the freeing of slaves uh, in this country. Uh, we'll be right back. We've got, uh, well, we'll stay on civil rights when we come back. Um, we're going to talk to an attorney who just won an incredible settlement for farmers. Uh, $1.25 billion settlement for black farmers in this country. Uh, well, if you hadn't heard about it, we're going to talk about it. So stay with us. We'll be right back right after this. Uh, as I said in the intro, I'm excited about this show because, you know, this is a different kind of show. I mean, we... We've talked about civil rights on the show. Well, we talk about civil rights a lot one way or another, but we don't always get to dive into uh, significant cases related to civil rights. And yes, I know listeners, you're out there you're like, well, you know, you have Ben Crump on all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, but this is a different kind of civil rights. I mean, when um, this one actually is something we can all learn from and. I wanted to bring my friend on and fraternity brother who I, I've known for a very long time, Greg. Wow. Um, I, I date right. us if I talk about how long we've known each other. Right. Uh, I was just going to tell you, don't say how long. I don't yeah. say how long. But, <laughs> but y'all, attorney Greg Francis, who if you're astute and aware and you read important publications, you've come across his name uh, several times because he's been if a, 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 an accomplished lawyer for a very, very long time. As I said, listeners, uh, Attorney Francis is not only an accomplished lawyer, but he's also an author now. And can you take us back to the beginning of this landmark case? Sure. Uh, really, if you go really all the way back to the beginning of it, um, what, things started to change, and there, there was a, a ray of hope was when Mike Espy was um, appointed the Secretary of Agriculture by the Clinton administration. Uh, and, and Mike has a very interesting background. Although he's not a farmer, his father in Mississippi um, was a farm service agent. And for many years would come home and talk to him about the lack of uh, funding that the black farmers were receiving as opposed to white farmers, black farmers complaining about it. And he had numerous memos uh, on that issue. Uh, but if you fast forward, Mike becomes the Secretary of Agriculture. Um, and one of the first things he does is 
launch an investigation into the uh, discriminatory practices or whether the USDA was discriminatory or not in terms of farm funding. Uh, once he did that, um, uh, that, that kind of started the ball rolling. Mike was ultimately uh, indicted for bribery and I think 18 counts. And he, um, he ended up beating that. Well, he didn't beat. He was found innocent on all those charges. But at that time, he, by that time, he had resigned his position as Secretary of Agriculture. And, and his successor came in and essentially undid all the things that he was doing in terms of righting the wrongs of, of civil rights violations, uh, which led to uh, this lawsuit initially. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is, although it's $1.25 billion, this is not, this, this only covered discrimination between 1981 and 1996. Well, unbelievable. Um, so this is wow. not even, yeah, this, this is not even uh, considering the treatment that black farmers received you know, going back to, you know, the times that they were um, released from slavery. So it doesn't, it doesn't address any of those things. But, but nevertheless, the USDA on its own had commissioned a couple studies that kind of demonstrated that there had been, you know, unfair practices or discrimination. And, and ultimately, um, a resolution was, was agreed to. Um, but most of the farmers who had really been aggrieved were left out because, Quite frankly, after being, you know, mistreated by the USDA for so many years, decades, if not, you know, hundreds of years, they um, they didn't believe that the USDA was going to finally help them uh, to have their cases heard. So when I got involved was when we had kind of a second round of the Pigford case for all those people who were late filers um, and to, just so they could have their cases heard. Wow. And I, I got to tell you, it's amazing I don't know that we'll get time to dive into the details that you know, but I know the details have to be fascinating, um, especially the tidbit you just gave us about the time frame, the, the limited time frame that this settlement actually covers. Uh, so I guess in the right. settlement, you y'all weren't able to get our 40 acres and a mule in there uh, either, right? <laughs> no, no, we were not able to get the 40 acres and a mule. Oh, okay, and, uh, okay. You know, again... Again, 1.25 is, is, is a lot of money, but when you break it down to the farmers and you really consider what these farmers lost, the, you know, the vocation of farming, lost their land, which prevented the opportunity for, you know, a transfer of wealth to the next generation by passing that land on um, and, and, and kind of the breakdown of the family. You know, you live on a farm. Uh, and you, you, you know, as a family, you work together, you, you plant, you harvest, you have chores, and it's, you know, kind of working towards a common goal all the time and very close-knit families. Well, when these farmers were losing their land and moving away to other places, it really broke down that whole family structure and, and the lessons that are learned as a result of, of that kind of hard work. And you're hidden on something that we often forget, and if you don't understand or, or if you didn't pay attention in history class, everything was about land. And I mean, land was everything. And when you think about the fact that right. land was given to people, given to families to farm. And, you know, when you get to that, you realize that the point that you're making land made, it's not just land. It's where families were created. It's where they 
Right. They, I mean, this is where they harvest their lives. And so what right. you're talking about here is, is, is hugely significant, hugely noteworthy. And it wasn't just another case for you, though, right? How does it fit into, I mean, we're talking about $1.25 billion settlement. Um, it's not a, just another case for you. It also lent itself to you writing a book. Um, tell us how this compares to your to, to your other work. Uh, obviously, this is one of the, 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 the bright, shiny moments, I believe, in my career, just because of the sheer number of farmers uh, I was able to help and, you know, what these farmers have meant to, to, to America. You know, I... Um, I, 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 growing up in Florida, I knew nothing about the treatment of black farmers or the mistreatment of black farmers. But once I started going to Mississippi and open office there and was running the office there, I started getting these scattered stories of uh, these these instances of discrimination and had, you know, sets of families that would drive for hours. When I, I recall a set of brothers one drove from like Houston, Texas, and the other one drove from somewhere in Oklahoma to meet me in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, just to discuss what um, what they had been through and, and, and what they were losing or and or had lost. So once I heard enough of those stories, I was convicted, um, convicted to making sure that this case that had drunk on for so long, this treatment that had occurred for so long would not continue so i took it i took it as a personal um personal issue or or a personal goal of mine to ensure that everyone who had been potentially agreed would be uh would be heard so we didn't rely on or i didn't rely on just the the mechanisms of the past of sending out postcards to let people know uh, sean i really i got with a, a media consultant and i had um, him go ahead of me and uh, or call ahead of me and 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 to, to to some of the TV stations in some of these smaller, more rural areas and get me on the nightly news. Look, you know we're coming to help farmers, and we want to make sure you understand that. And um, therefore, we got the news out that way. We didn't really have a budget. I didn't have a budget for advertising, um, but that was my form of advertising is getting on the nightly news because if you know anything about farmers you know they don't you know they don't have time to watch tv all that's day. right that's right um the evening news may be the first thing or the only thing that they have an opportunity to look at so i got in my car and drove tens of thousands of miles all over the south um uh, mississippi alabama georgia florida south carolina north carolina oklahoma uh all of those places to ensure that in fact, everyone who had an uh, who had a, a grievance that there that it would be heard. Well, listeners, if you're just tuning in, we are talking to attorney Greg Francis, and we're talking about this incredible $1.25 billion settlement uh, with black farmers uh, from the U.S. government. Uh, if you Google Pickford, the first thing that's going to come up is uh, information about this amazing case and, and some information about attorney Francis. Um, Attorney Francis, I do want to ask you this because I know uh, folks are going to want to know. This 1.25 divided into how, how is this structured? Is this enough? Is this enough for black farmers to um, feel like there's some type of reparation to what they've experienced? And I guess the second part of that question is 
is the settlement enough for the U.S. government to change its uh, processes and behaviors as it relates to black farmers? Well, well, to answer your first question, um, uh, is it enough? I mean, like I said, when you go back and you consider what was lost by these farmers, in 1920, there were estimated 100, I mean, I'm sorry, 960,000 black farmers. Because remember, coming out of slavery, we most most freed slaves had one skill. That's all farming. we knew. That's all we knew. Uh, that's all we knew. So, well, my folks um, could make some sauce and, um, and some uh, <laughs> chitlins and that kind of stuff, too, so we could cook. <laughs> right, right, right. But, right, but you're right. right, right. Your point so, well you taken. Know, some people had multiple skills. Exactly. They, some, some families had multiple skills. Um, but, yeah, coming out of coming out of slavery, all they had was farming. So um, that, that's what that's what most, uh, you know, the former slaves went into. So 900 and you think about 960,000 farmers in 1920. And by the time we get to, you know, basically the end of that century, there are less than 40,000 black farmers. Well, what happened? And I think what happened is uh, exactly, you know, what we what we sued about, which was the discrimination of uh, these farmers. Now, there's 50, because essentially what happened is each farmer got $50,000 um, as a result if they were able to prove their claim. Really, 62-5 because they, they had to pay taxes on that money. Um, but it's $62,500 for a family who has lost hundreds of acres of land and that family structure that I talked about and the opportunity to pass on the land to the next generation and, and create some type of generational wealth, I would tell you absolutely not. Mm. Absolutely not. Um, but it but it but it was a an acknowledgement at least by the USDA that there was discrimination and in my view, um, the first step it, it always is awareness. Well, at least we know what's going on. Um, you know, uh, just to compare it to George Floyd, the, Floyd, the reason why George Floyd was so uh, uh, transformational um, and his treatment was we got to see it. it was, there was an awareness. I equate it to, you know, the civil rights movement was being effective and, and moving along. But when it really gained momentum was when, you know, the, the evening news started showing uh, German shepherds and, and, and fire hoses being unleashed on the on the protesters. And then all of a sudden it was kind of shocking to America uh, and spurred on and, and advanced the civil rights movement. So, yeah, $1.25 is, is not enough to, to right those wrongs. However, it is a step in the right direction. And I think it was um, uh, something that's important and has led to, you know, the next phase, uh, which is in this last uh, COVID relief bill, there were $4 billion set aside for um, debt relief for black farmers. Now, we, we, we see that white farmers have sued to block that funding now, which is, um, I guess, not surprising to me, but, uh, but disheartening uh, because they believe that they are being discriminated against. But, but if you look back, you know, as they say, Sean, you know, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. That's right. Look, look back at, you know, all of the aid that President Trump promised the farmers and that he gave to the farmers. You know, I, I, I almost tell you, take a wild guess what percentage of that aid went to black farmers. One tenth of one percent. Wow. Not one percent. 
one tenth of one percent. One tenth of one percent. That, that you know that one tenth of one percent, and that's that's you know that's um, twenty what twenty sixteen to twenty twenty. So we're not even we're not we don't have to go back to the nineteenth century uh, you know to the nineteen hundreds or or the eighteen hundreds for that. I mean it's still the same modern times, the same thing. Modern times, modern and, times, and and yeah. you know and we talked about that. We continue to talk about just all these other civil rights movements, right? And and these things that that are really facts, man. I mean, when you listen to Martin Luther King standing and 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 giving his "I Have a Dream" speech or any other speech he gave, you if you take it from black and white and make it color and put it HD, you think he was talking about today, because right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these things right. have not changed, and in some instances, we are headed even backwards uh, when we talk about the, the debt ratio between white families and black families. It's worse today than it right. was, you know, 60 years ago. Um, and that right. that's shocking. And I think the other thing that's happening, as you mentioned with, you know, videos and seeing it on regular television, uh, on the news at night, it's the how many. I think the perceptions have changed in a, in a sense that it's not one off. And, you know, right. Attorney Crump right. always says, you know, I thought that if the government has to come up off so much money, if they if these big settlements would come, that it would end based on, you know, them not wanting to pay all this money. Well, right. That right. hasn't it doesn't change anything. Right. And and so I want people to know, though, because I know we're talking about one point two five billion dollars. Listen, I want you to know Attorney Francis had made his money long before this. I want you to know that. I mean, <laughs> he, he spent a considerable amount of time. And, and, you know, look, you did a lot of personal injury work. You were doing important stuff. You were right. fighting for important people. You were you 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 made your money then. This is a civil rights case that right. you did. Right. Tell us, how does it feel to to have accomplished such an incredible settlement within civil well, rights? Well, I, I will tell you, you know, again, just the, the acknowledgement by uh, the USDA and the aid that was given to these farmers who for so long just wanted to be heard. Um, uh, they, didn't, they weren't asking for anything extra uh, or a hand up, just the same treatment as everyone else. So in that sense, it was very fulfilling. But, you know, the, and part of the reason I wrote the book is the more I reflected on it as time went on, I realized this truly is not the end of it for the black farmers. This is there's not truly full justice here because because we didn't have that debt relief. We didn't have um, a restoration of the um, the opportunity to farm that are that's granted to 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 many other people. So we had, you know, this was uh, I tell people this is kind of a change in legislation, but it wasn't that wasn't necessarily a change of heart. And mm. uh, I, I'm currently investigating the, the USDA again for um, some of their loan practices um, uh, just to make a determination whether, you know, this, in fact, continues to go on. But I, and, and, and one other point here, Sean, is this this case is uh, an example of exactly what happens and um, when we allow systemic discrimination to go on. You know, small instances of bias and discrimination at the lowest levels sometimes can grow into something that becomes widespread like it did in this case. So we, I think, moving forward, we as Americans have to address and consider, monitor the systems that we have in place that by which we, we operate. 
um, and not on, and, and what are the results of those systems? Is there a disproportionate impact on any one group, and why is that? And, and is that is that fair? But also to consider those who are implementing these systems, whether they are cognizant of uh, what's being implemented and how it's being implemented, um, I think are, are equally important. So I think that you know the black farmer case is kind of a a microcosm of probably a bunch of systems here in America that need to be addressed. Well, and I, I want to tell people that if they want to learn more about this, we keep mentioning you're an author and we haven't mentioned the name of the book, but Greg's book is called Just Harvest, Just Harvest. And listeners, just Google that and you guys need to, to pick up this book. And Greg, I know you're, you're in between your hours of fighting for people. You're, you're trying to really get this book out there because it's so important. Um, is that going to be the only book? Is there going to be another one that comes from Greg Francis in the future? There may, in fact, be a follow-up to this about, you know, kind of the current state of events. Um, I'm investigating, like I said, a couple other, quote-unquote, uh, systems and, and whether their practices are discriminatory. So there may be there may be some uh, commentary on that as well. So, you know, and I want to use this book um Use the, mo- use the momentum of this book and turn it into a movement and, and a movement where it really effectuates change. Uh, in addition to the book, I have started the Just Harvest Foundation and yeah, it has three pillars. One is family and with that we are partnering with a local church where we are assisting uh, families in transition uh, and hopefully transitioning from renting to buying. It's a six-month program where the family comes and lives in the home um, they pay rent, but during that time, they, they get financial counseling. They get understanding your credit, mortgages, budgeting, all of those things. And then at the end of six months when the program is over, we, we give them the money back that they paid in rent uh, for them to use as a down payment to go from renting to buying. So we, we, that the foundation is addressing love families that. there. I love that. It's addressing education with um, I've endowed a, a fellowship at the University of Florida Law School for graduates of HBCUs that, that we can go out and recruit the best and the brightest uh, from some of those H, uh, historically black colleges and universities. Uh, and then finally, working with Four Roots here, uh, which is a charity where, um, or a foundation where they have, um, they're essentially building a farm in uh, kind of the heart of Orlando and um, my goal in working with them is going to be to encourage and, and financially support young African Americans that want to um, pursue a career in agriculture you know it's not just about farming and planting seeds there's a botany behind behind all of this there is a science to to farming there is the distribution of food. There are different types of farming, hydroponic farming versus the traditional farming. Um, and, 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 and like I said, the distribution of food. So I look forward to working with them in that, in that sense. But, you know, I would really wanted to, I want to make sure that I effectuate some change as well. Well, you're doing it, brother. And, and listen, I, I'll, I'll say this too. I, I really want to have you back one day because we haven't even, this subject, we can go on, on and on. Particularly about, right. particularly about black farming and, and, and how the discrimination has 
put us even in in lack of position to take advantage of things like medical marijuana and but not just medical marijuana but even recreational marijuana uh, with all that happening all across the country the people most prepared to take advantage of that are people who were farming already who were already into right. agriculture and agribusiness and even here in Florida um, we had to carve in um, a piece of the pie for black farmers that were a part of the Pickford Class Act. That's how we did it. We, the Pickford Class Act. Right. I mean, that's how we did it was to try to carve it out for them because it, the first iteration was to say that you had to have 30 years of experience in farming. And not right. just experience, you had to have be in the business of farming for 30 years. Well, where right. were right. where were black farmers when it came to that? Uh, you said it earlier. Right. There's so few of us now that we weren't prepared to even take mm-hmm. a, take advantage of uh, this opportunity to grow in such a substantial way. However, we got a lot of people right. locked up <laughs> for the same reason. Right. Right. Uh, so anyway, I'd love to have you reason. back. Exactly. Right. I'd love to have you back at some point, Greg, um, to talk about that. Uh, look, it'd be my pleasure to come back anytime, uh, Sean. I, I, I appreciate you having us on or having me on and for getting the word out there about not only the book, but the issue with black farmers. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Well, listen, man, I do want to mention that later today that you're a guest author and uh, for a read in um, today from three to five p.m. And listeners, all you have to do is go to Eventbrite at Black History Alliance. And you got to be registered to be a part of this. But if you're registered, you actually, they're going to give away some books. So you you might be able to get one for free <laughs> if you just, just tune in. <laughs> right. If you just chime in today, three to five, go to Eventbrite, search for Black History Alliance. And Greg, they've got a great uh, online thing for you today. And I think it's going to be really, really exciting, man. I'm excited for you. Right. right. I look forward to it. I, I'm excited about it as well. Well, listen, man, tell Keisha I said hello, that the Pittmans say hello. And, uh, I certainly will. And anytime you're in Central Florida, let me know. You, know, you, you can come to my house, too, not just Steve's house. <laughs> See, man, I tell Steve all the time, like, man... Why didn't I hang out with Greg more than you? He got more money. We could be hanging out. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> hey, Greg, yeah, I appreciate I you, I brother. Take care of yourself. And, and again, okay. give Keisha our regards. All right. Same, same to your family. Thank All you. All right. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back with a short Pittman point right after this. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, you're doing great things. It's a difficult job. Uh, but every kid deserves an amazing dad. And so for all of you great dads, great fathers out there from the Sean Pittman Show, we wish you a happy, happy Father's Day. And, you know, I'm a father. And um, I think the best situation is when it's Father's Day every day, like it is Mother's Day every day. So I want us to get to that, dads. How do we do the work, put in the work so that it's Father's Day every day? And when I look in my girl's eyes, I got to tell you, that's all the appreciation I need uh, is seeing how much they rely on their dad, need their dad and love their dad. And I know I got to work for that. So anyway, happy Father's Day. Uh, Now it's time for the Pittman point. Now, nobody on the Sean Pittman show will argue that we need less college football in our lives. Nobody. If there was a college football in every weekend of the year, that would still be too little. But with the playoff expansion, 
Won't someone always feel left out? Won't, I mean, does it really change anything? In this hypothetical 12-team breakdown, the aim is to add more teams from the group of five conferences and add more opportunities for more schools to compete. I, I get that. Uh, but they're also, they want to alleviate the heartache that some of those teams feel who are ranked fifth, sixth, and seventh at the end of each year. The powers that be are now set to rubber stamp this format and expand playoff football to 12, y'all. But let me tell y'all a little secret. If you expand the playoff to 12 teams, don't you think that number 13, 14, and 15 will still be upset? Even expanding it to 24 teams, which was discussed, still leaves some folks upset. Because if you just barely make it, if you were almost there, you still think there's something that could have been done in a more fair way that would have involved you. Listen, y'all, the point remains that it may not change anything. So the pivot point today is, where does it end? There will always be those teams who feel left out, no matter how many get in. But one fact remains the same. We can't wait for the season to start. Go Nose. Go Rattlers. This has been the Sean Pittman Show. We'll see you in seven.